all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they, you've got to get them off welfare. Hi, my name is Bryant, and welcome to Cars and Comrades, the automotive podcast with a leftist perspective. In this first introductory episode, we're going to introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about our goals and vision for the podcast. We'll also have a brief history segment at the end. Uh, it's about a weird libertarian boat uh, built to exploit a loophole in regulations in the 1800s. So if you're interested in just that, skip ahead to about the 42-minute mark. Uh, but if you want the full sort of parasocial relationship experience, go ahead and keep listening. Uh, we'll also have an episode out very soon, uh, or maybe even concurrently with this one, where we discuss some current events in the car world from a leftist perspective. Uh, so look for that. I should also mention that all the music in this episode is from the album Polygon Wanaland by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, we use this music, well, just because we like it, uh, but also it's a free album with a Creative Commons license, uh, so you can remix it and use it however you want. Um, so check it out if you like sort of psychedelic prog rock. Uh, the link will be in the description. If you're a musician and you have some music that you want to share with us, um, send it in to us and we might put it in the show. So how did this get started? Well... Uh, I've been fascinated with cars and mechanical things since I was a little kid. And I've only really gotten into left-wing politics in the last maybe five years, six years or so. Um, I also listen to a lot of car podcasts or just podcasts in general. But unfortunately, a lot of car content out there is either made by boring libs, which is fine, uh, or at worst, uh, right-wing reactionaries. And... Uh, that contains a lot of toxic masculinity and other bad things that we want to avoid. So that reason is partly why we chose the name Comrades as part of the name. Um, you know, it's a gender-neutral term, uh, and we want to include everyone, um, even though the four of us involved right now are cis-white dudes. We also want to explore the ways that uh, cars and transportation more broadly intersect with politics, history, and the environment. Uh, so a little bit more on that later with that boat I mentioned. There's already podcasts out there that cover pro wrestling, engineering disasters, conspiracy theories, whatever, from a leftist perspective. But as far as I know, uh, we're the only one, or the first one at least, to do a leftist car podcast. So we'd like to involve you, the listener, as much as possible. And if you have any ideas of stuff that you want us to talk about, or if you have some some polite criticism, please email us. The address is carsandcomrades at gmail.com. All spelled out, no weird characters or anything. And uh, yeah, uh, we also have social media accounts on all the usual places. Uh, you can just search for Cars and Comrades and you'll probably find it. Our Instagram has underscores instead of spaces, Cars and Comrades podcast. Twitter has an ampersand cars ampersand comrades podcast and i think it's the same on facebook so i'll put the links in the description for those also so anyways i had this sort of half-formed idea to make a leftist podcast about cars and transportation but none of my friends in real life were really all that interested uh at least they didn't want to work on my dumb project for free so i mentioned my ideas on a street fight radio call-in show uh they were conveniently talking about the Mazda Miata and whether it's a sports car, and of course it is, so I had to set the record straight on that. But I also uh, brought up my idea for a podcast and put my email out there. And so I had, a, a, I don't know, a dozen people email me and with various levels of interest in the in the idea. So these are the three people weird enough to stick around and listen to my dumb ideas. 
And uh, of course, they brought some of their own ideas too. Um, I don't think I could have done this by myself. But uh, sorry to throw shade on you guys and call you weird. I'm shady. I get it. <laughs> so uh, let's go around and everyone say your name, what cars you currently own or uh, are driving, maybe a little bit about your political tendency, um, and any ideas for the podcast that I hadn't already mentioned. Um, guess I'll go first. I said my name's Bryant. I have a 2005 Saab 92X Arrow, which also called a Saburu. It's basically a Subaru WRX with Saab styling. You know, one of those badge-engineered cars. Um, and I also have a 1986 Toyota MR2, which uh, has uh, electrical problems. The turn signals aren't working, so that is sidelined right now. I generally call myself a socialist. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable with that label. But I've been reading more Marx and Lenin lately, and, you know, they have some good things to say, so... If someone calls me a communist, I'm not going to be offended. And uh, I'd, I'd definitely call myself a Maoist when it's time to pay the rent every month. <laughs> but uh, I've been a DSA member for a few years now. Um, but because of my weird work schedule and, uh, of course, this whole pandemic thing, I'm not as involved with the chapter as I'd like to be. Um, you know, there's all kinds of committees that I can't make it to. As far as motorsports, um, I've been involved with the 24 Hours of Lemons racing series a little bit, but only maybe five to ten laps total. You know, every, almost every time I've gone out there, there's been a mechanical problem. <laughs> you know, something breaks down. Uh, we did a an engine swap uh, on one car, and um, yeah, and and I I believe that Lemons is doing a season this year, 2020 and 2021. Um, with some safety measures for COVID, but I didn't really want to get involved. The, the track that's closest to me doesn't have very good bathroom facilities and I don't, I don't want to be, uh, doing any more risks than I have to. So maybe next year we'll see. We'll probably have some other Colorado lemons racers on as guests in future episodes. So look for those. So, uh, Brandon, I think you were next. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, where do we start? So I'll start with politics, man. Like there was never really a time when I wasn't at least to some degree into leftist politics, even when it was like being a fucking 16 year old, like snotty punk kid who was like into anarchism beyond just like superficial, like whatnot. Uh, at this point, I'm pretty comfortable identifying as a Marxist-Leninist. I don't think it's uh, really a perfect summary of, of what I'm about, but I respect it. The immortal science of Marxist-Leninism. Um, Car-wise, man, that was I was much later to the game, man. I was so broke in my 20s that it never really like came into my purview. But I have a buddy who... Uh, you know, came into a little bit of money later on and got some cool cars. And the more he was turning wrenches on stuff and talking to me about it, the more I got into it. And I had, like, always been into old vans. It's, like, this the 60s uh, Econoline is what really got me into, like, learning more about cars. I really wanted, like, an early, like, flat-front, mid-engine Econoline. I never got the Econoline. I still don't own any Fords. But, uh... I found me an early Chevy, a flat front Chevy, like mid-engine. It was a real hunk of shit. And my options were to pay like an exorbitant amount of money to have everything fixed on this thing or to learn to do it myself. So I got more and more into learning to do it. You know, like buying that old van is what taught, like I learned how to run machines and learned how to weld and pretty much anything else you do. I don't change my own tires or do my own alignment and that's about it. And that was, I'm 37, and that was when I was 30, so I've, I've been doing this for a little over six years now. Um, that math doesn't work out because I recently had a birthday. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got on this podcast because I listened to a lot of podcasts too. You know, I heard Bryant call into Street Fight one day, and he's arguing that Miatas are sports cars. And I'm like, man, I got to email this motherfucker and set him straight. <laughs> Miatas are not sports cars. <laughs> 
We'll, we'll have to have this discussion uh, another time. No, you know, like us. No, no, I'm I'm trying to th- start <laughs> shit right now in the introductory episode. Because I want people to know who I am, and that is a person who is willing to cause problems from the right. get-go. My, my mouse is hovering over the button to kick you off the call right now, so. <laughs> Yo, that's, that's fair. I respect that choice. I, I am not close enough to fight you, so you do what okay. you got to do. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, uh, you know, most, mostly, mostly I'm a van guy. Like I've, I've got a, a 69 Chevy van. That's, that's like the flat front mid engine one that I'm, I'm currently fixing up when I'm done. It's going to have like a full, like seventies boogie interior, like shag carpet and probably some wood paneling and mirrors and probably like a 400 horsepower Chevy 350 motor. Uh, I got a 67 Cutlass. That's my muscle car. I got real weird with that. The whole interior is like two-tone faux fur. And I like learned to like do upholstery and sew to do that. It's not finished, but I think I'm going to be the resident like classic muscle guy in in the group. Everybody else seems to like their imports. Um, My daily driver is a 1975 Chevy van with a boogie interior and a 327 out of a Corvette. I got a... uh, 1965 g10 that uh it's it's really like in parts right now but i'm wanting to build it to drag race you know you're I, I my eventual goal with that is to have a 632 big block chevy supercharged with nitrous i want to be putting about a thousand horsepower to the rear wheel but uh i ain't got the kind of money to build that right now my eventual goal was to have a, a shitty old 60s van that will smoke any stock demon on the road um, let's, uh, beyond that, like, uh, polit- politics wise, like I haven't really been that active lately, man. Like a lot of people that are probably on this podcast and listen to, to it, I, you know, I got some mental health issues and they slow me down a lot in life, but I'm hoping to get, uh, organized with the PSL and SRA, uh, here locally once COVID is no longer just ruining everybody's lives and, um, you know, that, that's, I guess that, that's, that's about what I've got to say, man. Like, I, uh, unless you want to count the like half dozen other vans that I've got that are all for parts. Cause I, I literally just hemorrhage money on dumb shit that I see from Craigslist. So that's what I'm about. Shit boxes. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think shit boxes is going to be a kind of a theme on this show. <laughs> um, that's come on. They, they get it. They get us all at some point. Realistically, it should be, dude. No one in our generation has any fucking money to spend on stuff. Like, boomers all want $75,000 for their dumb, like, Mopar. <laughs> I, I'll buy whatever I can fucking afford for 1500 bucks. If it runs, I'll pay two grand for it. Shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely been a common theme for me, at least in my, my early 20s, for sure. Yeah, I've I've had but, my uh, fair share of shit boxes. I had I drove a Kia Spectra for a couple of years. That was, well, I mean, it wasn't terrible. It it drove and ran. It was it was an appliance, you know. But dude, my daily driver van has been running for two years with a bypassed uh, uh, neutral safety or uh, like a uh, neutral safety switch <laughs> that I bypassed with a piece of wire I found on the ground. So that's that's how I roll. Hey, it works, it works. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, sort of. <laughs> it works in park, it works in drive, it works anytime <laughs> it shouldn't. All right, well, um, I think that's, uh, that is my cue. <clears throat> so, my name's Connor. Um, I'm not exactly sure how I should, how I should be starting this, but uh, I suppose I'll start with the politics. Um when I was young, I was actually a right-wing reactionary myself, um, like actual um, conservative family values, hate gay people, racist, sexist, all of it. Um, I, for, for reference, my father listened to Rush Limbaugh pretty regularly at work, um, and I would you know, do painting jobs with him all the time. Uh, so I thought Rush was pretty cool. Um, I later learned that uh, he is not cool. He's awful. I hate him. I think he is damaging a lot of people's brains, unfortunately. Um, but 
I was fortunate enough to have some pretty cool friends when I was young who kind of pushed me on my beliefs and, you know, uh, I lost a lot of arguments and I couldn't figure out why. Uh, so when I challenged those ideas, I kind of started to go, oh, huh. Yeah, I guess those are some pretty stupid reasons to, you know, believe the things I, I do. So over time, I changed. Uh, that took years and years. Uh, I got into punk rock. And so I was like, yeah, no government. That's cool. Um, but I didn't quite understand that capitalism was like why the government existed. Uh, so for a while, I was a uh, right right wing libertarian. Uh, and then I became a lib uh, for a while. And, you know, of course, my, my heart was in the right place, like uh, like most liberals. But uh, eventually I started to notice like, hey, these liberal solutions are not quite solving the clear issues. Uh, so then I started looking into people like Bernie Sanders. Uh, so right around 2015, when Sanders started his run, I started to be like, Hey, he makes sense. I like what he's got to say. Uh, and then to fend off right-wing attacks, I decided, you know what? I should learn the difference between democratic socialism and socialism. And then I became a socialist. (laughs) So, um, Personally, right now, I I generally identify myself as an anarcho-communist or just an anarchist, depending on who I'm talking to. Um, I'm not super rigid on that. Um, And I generally support the idea behind left unity, um, because I think pretty much any Marxist-Leninist is generally pretty pretty spot on in my book. Um, I maybe have some mild disagreements or I, I say, hey, you know, I prefer go in this route in terms of organizing when we can but uh you know so i guess i would say and i'm sure i'm gonna catch some some flack for this uh when people listen i would call myself an anarcho-communist with maybe ml tendencies so i'm sure sure some people will hate that but uh you know dude i'm, I'm, I'm not an ml with ancom tendencies so i got you man we're good yeah, see, see, we're all on the same page. We're we're all fighting for revolution. Fuck capitalism. That's that's the key. <laughs> if you if you can get that far, you're all right, in my boy. And and Connor, my my political arc was basically identical to yours, except uh, replace Rush Limbaugh with the uh, focus on the family. So pretty oh, yep. pretty similar. Yep. Uh, you yeah, know, that's conservative you know. to liberal to to socialist sort of uh, path. Yeah. I th- I feel like that's a more common trajectory than uh, than a lot of people give it credit for. Um, and to to our credit, um, I-, I don't see the same kind of pattern going the other way, which I think stands to. Um, I mean, I'll 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 amend that as soon as I meet a few uh, former socialists who are now you know fascists or uh, or conservatives or whatever. But uh, you don't see too many going back the other way, uh, and I think that's because uh, we're right. So. I got some, I got some dark history for you off recording. Yeah, well, and there's also well all yeah. the people with like really cool Marxist uh, parents, like Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris. You oh, know, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that is just endlessly shocking to me. I just y'all want to hear some dark shit in relation to that? Barack Obama's stepfather was in Indonesia when they cracked down on communists and killed a million people. And he saw a lot of that happen. And Barack Obama still turned out to be Barack Obama. I didn't know he was, he was there for that. His stepfather yeah. was, yeah. Oh, see, that's, yeah. Barack Obama's arc is like the arc of, um... It'll melt your fucking face <laughs> off. Yeah, he he's almost like a, an Emperor Palpatine-like character, where you're just like, how did you see this and then turn out this way? <laughs> what? I actually find Emperor Palpatine a little bit more palatable. <laughs> a little more palpatine <laughs> oh! Hey, you want to talk about weird arcs, though? I spent about five years since an anarcho-primitivist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm not going to really be in the cars. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think any of those folks are listening, so we can say whatever we want about them. Right. <laughs> well, I'm not going to shit on it. It makes some good points, but it's, it's just not like a worthwhile thing to consider. We have seven or 8 billion people. Why pretend that we want to live in a world with a half a million? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I should probably also talk about the, uh, car stuff. Um, 
<laughs> How do we do that here? Yeah, so uh, my relation to cars is um, I wasn't into them when I was a kid. I didn't really care. I saw them as an appliance uh, until I was about 16 looking for my first car. And that was kind of when I first discovered on Craigslist that, you know, all the muscle cars and the sports cars cost the same as the um, practical Econobox cars. Sort of, um, you know, I learned the hard way that that's not exactly <laughs> true, but the purchase price is about the same. So um, I started looking like, oh, hey, maybe these Mustangs are cool and Camaros are cool. Uh, wound up buying an 81 uh, Trans Am with uh, a 1966 Corvette motor swapped into it. So that was the 327. Um, I dropped way too much money on that car over the course of like five years. Um gutting the thing, painting it. Uh, I literally never drove the car because I purchased it and had someone drive it for me because I didn't drive stick at the time. So a little bit of a sore spot, but uh, it gave me the itch. I learned a lot about cars and then I branched off on my own and I got, um, I had a daily that was, you know, a Toyota Camry, which I'll talk about that later at some point. That was a fun little piece of shit car. Um, but I then later got a 97 Camaro SS with the orange stripes. It was the 30th anniversary package. I bought it with like 60,000 miles on it. Um, I had some fun with it for a while. Uh, you know, put a new rear end in it because I blew up the first one, of course, um, immediately. Um, but but I had about 20,000 miles of fun before I blew the motor because it's an American car. So the motor blew at 80. Had it rebuilt, and now I'm hopefully going to sell that thing at some point because it's collectible, and uh, I'm more into imports these days. Um, so I, at one point, I went and saw a drift event, in, um, which is a fun story of how I got there, but I won't get into it. Um, it was just, uh, I saw it live, got to ride in the cars, and I said, okay, I'm getting a drift car. And so I did. I bought a, a Nissan 350Z. And I have never looked back. That car, hands down, the best car I've ever owned. It's super reliable. And I have put some very hard miles on that car. Uh, I used to drift on the street just about every day for, for a good couple of years. Um, and I've been to dozens and dozens of track events. Uh, so I do enjoy getting out there. It's been a slow couple of years for me, though. Um, it's kind of gotten up in miles. Uh, so I've been trying to take it kind of easy. Um, and for a while, I was doing a really bad over the road driving job and didn't have time for it. Um, but now I'm kind of getting back into things and I'm planning a pretty, uh, pretty substantial engine rebuild and trans swap. And then hopefully next season I'll be out drifting, uh, drifting hard again. So that's kind of my, uh, my car trajectory, uh, as well as my political one. So, uh, that's all I've got. All right. I guess that means it's my turn. Uh, so my name is Zach. Uh, I think I'm going to start with the car stuff and then we'll get to politics a little later. Also, I made that Palpatine joke earlier. You're welcome for that. <laughs> so yeah, all the, all the credit, all you, all you. We even dream of taking that uh, from you. <laughs> I just need to let the listeners know that like, that's what you're getting into with me. If you like terrible puns, I'm here for it. You know, that's what I'm going to be providing. Uh, no, but I, um. I've always been into cars ever since I was little. As as soon as I could stand, I was turning wrenches, helping my dad work on cars. Um, owned a lot, broke a lot, learned a lot over the years. Uh, probably shouldn't get into all the ones that I've owned right now. That might take up a little too much time. But uh, suffice to say, I've gone from pretty much or gone through pretty much every style Uh there is out there classics, muscle, econo boxes, little shit cars. Uh, what I'm driving these days is a uh, 2011 Subaru WRX hatchback. Uh, some light modifications. It's my daily driver, so I try not to beat it up too bad, but it's hard to resist throwing new parts into cars when once you get started. Uh, and then I also have uh, a 2004 Audi S4 uh, sitting sitting right in front of me right now, torn into pieces. Uh, if you're considering buying an Audi, uh, my, my advice is don't. They're uh, extremely expensive to work on and unnecessarily complex. Um, 
But yeah, after, you know, basically my whole life working on cars, uh, it's been a pretty fun little project. Definitely taught me more uh, than I knew before, which is always the goal for me is just to keep learning as much as I can and uh, just keep keep wrenching. Uh, a lot of my spare time is spent uh, working on friends' cars, helping them out with stuff. Got a buddy right now with a Toyota Tacoma that's got a coolant leak that uh, I'll probably be fixing here in the next couple weeks. And that's kind of what I want this podcast to be as much as it's able to be. Uh, I want to help people understand the issues that they're having with their cars and understand that, you know, with some simple tools and YouTube and a little bit of gumption, you can do just about any standard maintenance stuff to your car. Because, you know, being working class people, we, we rely on them, a lot of us, to get us to and from work. So when they go down and you got to take it to a shop and you got to pay, you know, some ridiculous price to get something fixed, you know, sometimes that's worth it. Sometimes just not having the headache is worth it. But if you don't have the cash, I think like a lot of us have gone through, you know, you're just going to have to figure out another way. And uh, it's not as hard as it seems. It can it's cheaper to do it twice yourself than to pay somebody <laughs> else to do it once. That is right. Yeah, that is definitely not true. not necessarily easier, yeah. but cheaper maybe. But you yeah. learn something. That that's like that was literally my mantra getting into cars was like it's going to cost me five times as much to pay someone else, so I can get this wrong two or three times before it's a problem. Yeah, I think people don't realize how much shops cop like charge in labor. You know, a lot of that build that you're looking at that's two thousand dollars. You know, a thousand dollars or more of that could just be labor time. It's like, you know what? If you got the time to do it yourself, you can save yourself a lot of money and keep your car on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with sim those simple repairs, those sensors and stuff, especially if you just, if you just go on YouTube and figure out the symptoms your car is doing, you can, you can fix just about anything. You go, Oh, that's just, that's a cam sensor. They're known to go out of my car. For example, it's, it's a 20 minute job. And you don't have to know anything about cars. You just have to stuff like that makes a huge difference when you've got a car that's sputtering or, or not running right. And you got to You got to get to work and you don't have money for a thousand dollars at the shop. YouTube is definitely your friend. A few simple yep. tools. You, you that's can. That's how I ended up a Chevy guy was because with a motor that's 60 that was in production for, for, you know, 70, 60, 70 years or something like that. Like, there is no question I have that has not been answered and put on YouTube at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think Zach's spot on. That's definitely something uh, that hopefully people take away from this podcast is us four, idi us four idiots can do it. You can definitely do it. Yeah. And one little piece of advice. Uh, don't buy the cheapest uh, sensor that they have on Rock Auto. Um at least in my experience, you're just going to be replacing it in six months, you know, after it goes bad again. So maybe the second or third cheapest, you know. Talk to somebody you know and find out when you can cheap out and when yeah, you can. Yeah, But um, coolant temp sensors for Miatas uh, go with, you know, the, the $10 one rather than the $5 one, you know. Miatas being the sporty looking Autobots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not fast, but they are fun. So, I raced an LS swapped Miata once. I did not fare well in my van. So, yeah, yeah that, there's a few that sounds like it'd there. be a scary little deal. It was at a roadkill event. It was it was a good time, but I did not do well. Well, is that everything, Zach? Did you did you touch on politics, or am I? Did I just totally forget that? Uh, I have not gone over okay. that yet. Uh, yeah, so politics, that's been a, a long journey for me, a, a lot like Bryant and Connor both. I, uh, I grew up in a very conservative, very Christian household and, uh, slowly made my way further and further left as I grew up. Um, you know, I would talk with other people about politics and it's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I was necessarily radicalized by those people. I, I more just moved to the left on my own, but talking to other people made me realize that a lot of my beliefs were 
uh, pretty shitty to other people. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, in my heart didn't want to be that way. So I, uh, you know, I started reading more and learning more about, you know, well, what's, what's really the best, you know, political belief for all people and, you know, what's, what's going to cause the least harm to everyone. And I moved, you know, into kind of an alt right, you know, uh, right libertarian thing. I was like, yeah, the government's bad. They're, they're causing all the problems, but I wasn't really realizing capitalism was, uh, one of the bigger problems out there. And so then I, I moved more towards like liberalism and I was like, yeah, this is it. This is where it is. And I was like, oh no, this has its issues too. And then I, you know, kind of didn't really know where I was there for a while, but I knew I wasn't really down with like corporate Democrats and that kind of ilk of people. And, uh, these days I, I, I would consider myself an anarchist, probably anarcho-communist most days, uh, little wiggly in there. Not sure exactly, but most of the time I think anarcho-communism is about what I believe. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely into left unity, you know, whatever, whatever gets us there. We just got to get this shit out of the way first. <laughs> Then we can have our our infight squabbles. <laughs> yeah, that's what's beautiful about all of this is like if an ML can get along with a bunch of like spineless <laughs> anarchists, like... <laughs> hey, and if a, a bunch of good-hearted an anarchists could get on, get along with an asshole ML, you know? <laughs> hey, me being an asshole has nothing to do with my Leninism. <laughs> As long as we can all bond over cars and the uh, shit boxes and financial mistakes we've all shared in. Uh, we can we can make anything work. <laughs> I've never made any financial mistakes, just investments that haven't paid off yet. <laughs> I like that framing. Yeah, if you if you keep all the shit boxes, then you can definitely look at it that way. Oh, I catch a lot of flack for the fact that I've literally never sold anything. <laughs> I have a friend like that. He has a garage full of, you know, eight of the same part for all the same motors. They're all Fox Bot. Fox body Mustangs, and he just hoards all the parts. I keep You're telling him to sell them, and he never does. Technically, I think I own nine vans. <laughs> well, and I've got about uh, three, four uh, moped engines and or frames in my crawl space right now taken apart. So, Oh, dude, my whole basement and attic are full of yeah. Harley parts. We'll, we'll probably have episodes about scooters and Harleys and all kinds of dumb stuff and, and hoarding. hoarding. Yeah. <laughs> all the, my collections of newspapers that I have stacked up in the hallway, kind of, you know, leaning over squishing the cat. I'm eventually going to get around to that sandwich that I made. in <laughs> I love how uh, we're, we're kind of talking out both sides of our mouths here. We're saying, Oh, you know, learning to fix your own car, you'll save a lot of money, this and that. Well, then we all talk about our financial yeah. mistakes and how bad it is that we're spending all this money on shitbox cores. Dude, dude um, a, set of, a set of sockets will cost you about 20 bucks. Building a race car will cost you your livelihood. <laughs> I'd be doing fine if I didn't decide to build a drag van. Yeah, you just gotta let it, you just gotta keep it from becoming an addiction, you know? Just, like, be able to quit, you know... Quit cars when you're you when can't. you before it becomes a problem. Uh, you can't. That's fuck that! Deep. I'm addicted to acquire to acquiring addictions. <laughs> There's a reason they call it carcane. Hell, this year I've made the decision that it's time to start drifting on brand new tires instead of stealing tires out of the uh, dumpsters at the dealerships. <laughs> so that's gonna be that's a big decision. That's gonna be new tires every track day. So Oof. it's an addiction. <laughs> it's not. Wow. It's not as bad. They last a lot longer that way. And then I'm not paying to have them mounted as much, but uh, yeah, it's an. I mean, if you right. really want to go hardcore, you could get a tire machine in your, in your garage. And I'm living in a 12 floor <laughs> apartment right now. So in your bathroom? So, oh, I don't think my. Yeah, I don't think my uh, girlfriend wants a tire machine in our bedroom. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm wearing her down though. I'm not going to name names or locations, but what you can also do is find like a low. Is my computer? Yeah, on? I can hear you. Think oh, so. yeah. like 
I glitched out for a second. Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to name names or places, but I did know some people who would steal wheels off of rental cars after the <laughs> rental agency closed down. After it shut down, is that what you said? Mm. Well, no, like it would close uh, for the night. <laughs> and then they would just, just go grab wheels off of the yeah. cars. Like, I'm slightly exaggerating. They only did that once. You know what? They were probably insured. It's fine. Well, also, just fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Hertz rents a car is like got more money than I do, so whatever. I'm pretty sure they got more money than God, so <laughs> I don't know how much God do they have. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Always the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a, probably a pretty good, uh, pretty good place to yeah. end it. I think we got some good banter, some some good intros there. Yeah. I think that was we can edit solid. this down into something coherent and and you know make us. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the banter was. I mean, listen to it, but banter. Yeah, was probably no, I th- I don't think we really need to cut whole whole lot of anything. But there's, yeah, there's I, I tried not to be overwhelming, but it's really hard for me to shut up. <laughs> no, I think we got good content <laughs> out of everyone. So that's that's what we're doing here: mining the content. <laughs> yeah i mean like seriously if we're not making money off this what are we even right. doing right like i said before <laughs> gotta you know we got to get that patreon up we got to all move to brooklyn start doing cocaine you know Dude, honestly i have been meaning to start doing cocaine for years <laughs> now <laughs> uh, it's, it's on my to-do engine. list, but it's like after three engine swaps. So who the fuck knows when I get around yeah, to it? I, th- I feel like you probably want to <laughs> have know? the financial security to to do that, right? If you just trade the car addiction for the cocaine addiction, it would probably save you money, yeah. honestly. Like, I agree with you, but I do know a guy who did something similar on accident, and apparently it's not cheaper. <laughs> Damn. But his was heroin, not cocaine. So yeah. No. Well, there's also some benefit to being able to uh, <clears throat> do a bunch of coke and stay up all night working on your car. It's, so there's a it's a little bit of give and take there. Are we advocating for cocaine right now? Because I'm about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been clear. I have never done cocaine, but I'm never going to tell somebody yeah. what to do. Like you know, probably don't do heroin. Yeah, but... definitely don't do crocodile. I'll I'll say that pretty definitively. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of drugs, but yeah, I'm going to say don't do that one. <laughs> um, I read some story years ago. I think it was on Jalopnik that this guy's neighbor was a meth head and once stayed up all night replacing all the wiring on his motorcycle with blue wire because it looked cooler. <laughs> and And then it didn't run after that. <laughs> okay i've replaced all the wiring on a motorcycle with black wire because it didn't run before and that's all we had so sometimes you just do what you got to do yeah i mean you're in a you're in a good flow state you know you got a good supply and and you'll definitely always remember which oh yeah totally easy to troubleshoot (laughs) when you drive stuff that's like 50 years old there's there's only so many wires on board so it's it's fine Fair point. That's the same motorcycle that to this day you still start it by touching an exposed <laughs> wire to the battery. Yeah. I, I had a uh, that reminds me I had a lawnmower once that um, was I, f- I found sitting under a tree in my friend's yard and uh, eventually you know drained all the water out of it, got it to run um, but there was no like it had you know almost no compression left uh, you know I think it was old enough that it had points and those were probably gone bad, but I didn't want to replace any of that stuff. So to start it, you had to open up the air cleaner box, pour a tiny little bit of gasoline in there, uh, <laughs> and then then crank it and start it. And then one day my roommate was going to mow the lawn and he got it out and did that whole procedure. And then it just backfired through the carb and caught on fire and melted the whole thing. <laughs> So then it's like, oh, I can't even count the amount of vehicles I've caught on fire. <laughs> then it's like, yeah, I think this this thing is cooked. We'll just, you know, buy splurge for a fifty dollar uh, Craigslist, uh, you know, lawnmower rather than a free one. I'm notorious at my work for pulling um, an old blazer into the the bay to work on it one day, and I made it live up to its <laughs> name. 
<laughs> yeah, like like the Piero. I think weren't, weren't those uh, known for catching fire, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, I think I they know. were. I think they were, and then there was millions of jokes about them being Fieros. Yeah, fire. I'll have to ask the Fiero no- owner that I know about that. He'll probably say, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> it makes me think of the joke, anything, any machine is a smoke machine if you operate it wrong <laughs> enough. <laughs> wow. Even like a simple machine, like a crowbar, like a lever. Yeah, if you if you operate that wrong enough, it will definitely okay. make smoke. The simpler machine, the wronger you yeah, have to operate. Yeah, it, but yeah, that makes sense. So, like an oil refinery, there's there's a million wrong ways to operate that wrongly to make smoke. But like, dude, if you've never gotten so angry at a crowbar that you threw it hard enough to make <laughs> sparks, then you know okay. I can't relate to you. <laughs> Fair point. I think the the simpler the machine, the harder it is to make it a smoke machine. But I think it could be done with just yeah. about anything. I stand corrected. As as a CNC operator, can oh yes, verify. definitely. <laughs> I've I've seen the smoke. I've made the smoke. Yeah, I think the worst thing I've done with uh, a, a machine is drop a drill truck on my hand and crack a fingernail. But nothing. I sent you pictures where I dropped a whole fucking chuck on my hand like a couple of months. ago. I don't think right? I saw those pictures. Oh, I mean, they're grizzly, so I wouldn't... Like, I'm only just starting to get feeling back in that finger. Yeah, I dropped, like, an 80-pound, like, four-jaw chuck yeah, on my hand. Yeah, I don't need to see that. I'd <laughs> like to see that. You can send it to me. <laughs> I like that shit. <laughs> uh, it, it, like, it wasn't that bad, but it was one of those moments where once you peeled the wound open and saw how deep it went, I, I got a little yeah. woozy. Yeah, I forgot to tell you guys. Like, I chopped my thumb open this week. I've got, like, seven stitches Ooh. in it right now. Oh, shit. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. It was fun. fun ah, shit, I broke character as an asshole. <laughs> I, I, showed, I showed compassion. I don't like this side view. Go back to being me. This is weird. Yeah. Zach, you do construction work? Is that is that where that happened? Yeah, yep. That'll do it. Yep. There's a an exposed piece of framing, and I just smacked my thumb right into it like a real dumb. I feel like if I did construction, I would hurt myself in more ways than I already do. And my job. <laughs> it's very easy yeah. to do. I just have really severe mental health issues and I can't relate to doing anything constructive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, 90% of my job is demo. So I just get yeah. to break shit. Most of the I've time. done that before. It's pretty fun. It is. I, uh, I did a little, little short stint doing demo work in, in, uh, New Orleans after the hurricane there. And, uh, Saw some interesting stuff like, you know, six inches of mud on floors and some real funky refrigerators. Um, And we have just a short little history uh, excursion here for you now. We might have some more in the episode, but uh, let's start off... um, Let's do this dollop style. I'll just yell out a date here. Uh, 1888. That was a good year. The first naphtha launch uh, appeared in Britain. The Zephyr was the invention of Alfred Yarrow, a well-known builder of steam launches for some years previously. So what is a steam launch? A steam launch is a steam-powered small boat, um, sort of like... I don't know what you today have the equivalent of like a, like a inboard motorboat or something like that, or maybe a larger outboard uh, boat. It's basically something that you'd cruise around, cruise around on a lake or a river or, uh, you know, close to the shore. Uh, you know, uh, what today the owner of a car dealership would own to go out and, uh, get drunk on the weekends. Wait, do they have you know? like, do they have super cool motors on them? Are they fast? Well, back in the day, they were just like little steam engines that made like 20 horsepower or something. So is it something you could put a Trump flag on and then sink other boats <laughs> with Trump flags? Yes, definitely. Awesome. Um, although they're a little thinner and smaller than a uh, smaller draft than like a modern motorboat. So they're not going to kick up a huge wake. 
Uh, so you you need to really be pushing it to to sink. No, the other if boats. if you love the president, you really need a huge wake, <laughs> like something that'll sink everything around you. Yeah, yeah. So the problem with steam launches is regulation. That pesky Ooh. government. Um, there was a lot of uh, boiler explosions back in the day, you know, because uh, they didn't really have the metallurgy and design uh, okay, engineering. So it seems like a little regulation was probably just what they needed. Yeah. So uh, there was a law in the U.S. Uh, that all steamboats had to carry a licensed engineer at all times. And if you just got your little pleasure yacht out on the river, uh, who wants to hire an engineer? Like, that's that's bullshit. Um, so there was uh, this guy, Rose um, Star- Starling Burgess, uh, was an engineer and uh, boat designer and uh, paid for his wife, uh, Rosamond, to become an engineer, a licensed engineer, so they could just go out on the the uh, boat themselves. But most people uh-huh. didn't do that. Okay. Uh, so there was a loophole that someone figured out uh, called the Naphtha engine, uh, an alternative to the steam engine. So what is Naphtha? It's a petroleum distillate, a hydrocarbon mixture, uh, the most modern equivalent would be like Coleman camping fluid or fuel, like for a stove or a lamp or whatever. Is that related to napalm? Uh, it comes from the same root word, uh, which I believe is Middle Persian naft, uh, which means wet. Um, so it's it's similar to kerosene. It's like a little heavier than the gasoline. You know, when you're distilling petroleum you've got a big column and you basically just pull off different different grades of material at different levels and you know naphtha is the one in between like kerosene and diesel or something so um someone decided to make an engine um alfred yarrow uh designed an engine that could use naphtha as both the fuel and the working fluid so what that means is you have a burner that burns naphtha and it pressurized a boiler full of naphtha that then this ran the engine. Really dumb. This sounds real dumb. <laughs> this sounds okay. We need more of that pesky regulation here because these people left to their own devices are just something else. Yeah. So lubricating things with something volatile and explosive. I see no problem. here. <laughs> As someone volatile and explosive, I'm pro this. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the innovation in the market, isn't it? The problem was was unsafe steam engines that exploded. So to make them safer, uh, we'll fill them full of fuel and and pressurize that and make it real hot. You know, <laughs> this sounds like a bomb that just happened to work as an engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. Uh, I don't know how else to expl- uh, explain it. It's like, it's like, I don't know, taking an engine and running uh, kerosene through the coolant passages and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, like having a, this with my small block. This sounds like a solid idea. Yeah. Like just better hope that the, uh, the head gasket doesn't fail and, <laughs> yeah. or uh, yeah. a, a coolant line doesn't spring a leak or something. Nah, that doesn't sound important. Yeah. So you've got um most of these boats were about 24 feet long. Um the first one that I talked about the Zephyr had an aluminum hull which was hot shit for back <laughs> in the day. Uh most of them were made of wood. Um should have gone with manganese, magnesium. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks very similar. I'll post a link in the Slack here so you guys can look at some of the pictures. They should have just uh, had a magnesium-powered engine made from magnesium with a magnesium hull. <laughs> yes. That sounds yes. just as safe. Now you're thinking like a libertarian. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real insult here. <laughs> Fuck you, ANCAP. <laughs> so your typical uh, naphtha engine, um, it has a small vertical boiler. Um, they're usually of... Well, if it was a steam engine, it would be called a water tube design. So you have a bunch of coiled tubing in sort of like a 
I don't know. Look, it looks like a giant spring, basically, if you look at the pictures. Um, and then it just has a shroud around it and a burner in the middle. So the fluid goes in the tubes, um, I believe, usually at the bottom as a liquid, and then it exits at the top as a vapor. Um, and then it goes into the engine. Um, there are three cylinder, uh, simple expansion engine. So that means that you basically only have uh, expanding fluid at the top of the piston rather than some like a more typical steam engine is double acting where it, um, it has steam going at the top and the bottom of the piston. Uh, so this, this was a simple expansion engine, 120 degree crankshaft spacing because it's a three cylinder. Uh, and so they're self-starting also. Hey, what's more capitalist than a self-starter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, wait, hold on. So what, yeah, what, what is a self-starting motor? I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. It's a bootstrap. So like if you had just a, if you just had a single cylinder steam engine um, and you turn on the steam valve, it won't just start running um, if it's at like bottom dead center. Because, mm-hmm. uh, oh, you have to, you can't, there's nowhere for it to push it. Exactly. Yeah. So like if you have a multi-cylinder engine, um, especially if it's like three or more and single acting, then it will at least one of those pistons is going to be in the right spot to start, start it moving without, uh, without any uh, weirdness. Um, Gotcha. Let's see. So you had a fuel tank at the the front of the, uh, the boat. um, And then you'd have to like hand pump it to pressurize it kind of like a Coleman stove. And then you had a little pressure jet in there um, that you would turn on and it would heat up the boiler. And then eventually it would warm up and it would be um, self-pressurizing. So you didn't need to, to pump that anymore. Um, and then, uh, oh, excuse me. It was a downdraft, downdraft boiler. Yeah. Those are um, words. <laughs> so that means that the flame goes down through the boiler um, and then up out the stack um, because basically uh, if you have two, like if you have a heat exchanger, which a boiler is a heat exchanger, yep. like, like think of a air to air intercooler. Um, if you have the fluids going in opposite directions, then that's the most efficient way to um, transfer heat. So like, if you have the flame going down and the boiling fluid going up, uh, that's a more efficient design than okay. if you have the flame going up also. So the naphtha fuel also acted as the lubricant and you had a, like a wet sump, uh, just a regular sump underneath. Um, and it had pretty simple, um, it had a camshaft on top, but with eccentrics. Uh, and transverse slide valves. So basically you have like a little crank with a sliding, um, basically just a flat piece of metal that uncovers some ports at the top of the cylinder head. Um, so it's not super high tech by today's standards, but, but those work slide valves are self sealing and they, um, because they're sliding, they lap themselves into uh, a good seal. They, as they wear, they, they make a better seal actually sometimes. Um, yeah. And with the, since you're pumping hydrocarbons through it, it's, uh, it doesn't rust or anything. So, um, you don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. Um, all about that grind. I respect it. (laughs) Yeah. And then it just has a, uh, a water cooled condenser in the hull, in the keel. So basically your, your vapor, Starts in the boiler, goes through the engine, condenses, goes back to the fuel tank, and then is pumped back to the the boiler and the burner. So there's also, I mean, other other people have done hydrocarbon steam engines before. Uh, they're sometimes called uh, vapor engines or something like that. So this isn't like the only thing, but I just thought it was an interesting concept because it was basically designed to exploit a loophole in uh, regulations and ended up with something that's like less safe than an actual steam boiler. Wait, 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 wait. So when you bypass regulations, it makes you less safe. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm going to need some more evidence of that, son. <laughs> so, Brian, I'm curious, in your research, did you come across anything that suggested that uh this had some catastrophic of uh effects when when it didn't go quite right? You know, it it actually I mean, I don't have any um documentations. It does say on the on the Wikipedia here, despite the obvious hazards and occasional reports of fires, the naphtha launch appears to have worked reasonably well and safely. So I think, I don't know, maybe they were a little less pressure than the uh, typical steam engine, uh, or maybe they just weren't that used that often, but yeah. So, so there weren't, there wasn't really that much documented cases of catastrophic failures, but like, it seems like something they made less safe. And so there was probably some issues there, but yeah. Well, how uh, widespread was this, that was usage of a naphthalene engine? Um, I mean, it was basically just, uh, rich guys that, uh, took their little yachts out on the weekends, you know, maybe not like petite bourgeois sort of guys, I believe, uh, were the, the people buying these. Well, knowing that, I wish they had exploded more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do have a headline here from the New York Times in uh, July of 1904 that says, Naphtha launch ablaze menaces yachts at the rendezvous of the New York Yacht Club. So some guy took one of these to uh, yacht, yacht Club meetup. He wasn't rich enough to fit in with the rest of the yacht owners, so he brought his little unregulated pile of shit and it caused a problem. That's yep. probably when they stopped letting uh, petite bourgeois join them in their yacht cruises. Uh, <laughs> goddamn old or new money messing everything up. For... <laughs> yeah, here, let me read this real quick. Uh, the 25-foot naphtha launch of the steam yacht Rambler, belonging to Lewis Cass Led Ledyard, a commodore of the New York Yacht Club, lying at the Yacht Club rendezvous off East 24th Street, caught fire around 11 o'clock last night and drifted out among J.P. Morgan's steam yacht Corsair, W.B. Leeds's Noma, and other yachts. So he was threatening the big money guys with his uh, burning piece of shit. So we were actually close because of this stupid unre. <laughs> Hold on. So uh, a loophole exploiting to get around uh, regulations almost burned down J.P. Morgan's fucking yacht with him on it. <laughs> it doesn't oh. say that he was on it. But... Okay, and well, well I wouldn't be fantastically like... condemning regulations, but may maybe they're onto something. <laughs> yeah, I think this has convinced me to be like an ANCAP now. Fuck regulations. <laughs> if it's going to burn down J.P. Morgan, let's get yeah, his ass. We're just going to go start our own ANCAP podcast. <laughs> just put those ideas out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with it now. Oh, history is just so cruel sometimes. God, we were, <laughs> we so, were so close. close. So close to greatness. It was also a similar idea was also used in a French locomotive in 1914. Um, and then there was also uh, plans to use it on a uh, Chrysler designed uh, tank in the 60s. But that never panned out. But that's a little preview to a future episode that I will be talking about later. Woo! Mystery. Woo. Something to look Ooh. forward to. <laughs> yeah. So that's all I have on the naphtha launch or naphthalene or whatever it is. Um, well, that should was we talk fun. about anything else? That was, or that's definitely a that's a weirdo little motor setup. All right, that was how did how did you come across this, Brian? Uh so for a while I've been looking at steam engines. Um, mm -hmm. I started to actually design a steam engine when I had access to CAD software. Uh, that was gonna. I was gonna design a 50 cc steam engine and put it on a moped. Gotcha. Um, but I don't know. I like um, in Colorado Springs. There's a uh, mining museum that I went to a couple times when I was a kid, and they have a couple of steam engines there on display. Some of them working. Uh, they run them off compressed air. But when I was a kid, I thought, oh man, these are so cool and. I don't know. I guess I haven't really lost that. I've just been looking at steam engines ever since. And then, you know, every once in a while you go down a rabbit hole and find something really weird, like 
yeah like this well that yeah that's all i don't ever look into steam engines which is why you know of course i don't (laughs) i don't uh come across these sorts of things but this was all right this is cool for sure yeah i was just curious i actually know a guy locally who uh is a machinist and like from scratch built his own steam engine for a little rowboat he's got nice for a rowboat you said uh, you know, I, I say rowboat. I, I think it's a little bit bigger than that. I, I've only met the guy a couple of times. He's like, we have a mutual friend, and he's like, the, the mutual friend has gone out on the river with him a whole bunch of times on his steam. Okay. Boat. Well, that that is a steam launch, basically. And maybe he should convert it into a Napta engine. <laughs> I'll run that by him. Like, hey, you yeah. know that thing that you have that's actually pretty unsafe? Do you want to make it more unsafe? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen I, there's a few different people um that have made like modern attempts at steam powered cars and most of them are terrible and stupid but also pretty fascinating. So, I don't know, like there's no connection to like left-wing politics there, but maybe we could do an episode about that in the future. I don't know if people oh, are interested. Yeah. Any alternative fuel source I think has got there, there's a connection there. Anything yeah. that isn't necessarily gasoline or diesel um it's got some it's worth talking about you know because i'm going to talk about electric cars that you know in like drifting um because that's becoming a thing but not really too much left-wing politics there we have to add that because they're electric cars and that's sort of the future and that's maybe good maybe not i don't know there's there's some it's not perfect well I I guess going off of that, like there is a little bit of a connection because sometime in the sixties, there was a guy, I forget his name. I think he was Australian who converted uh, some kind of Chevy to steam engine power. And um, his, he shopped it around. He brought it to different auto manufacturers. Did he end up dead? (laughs) No. Well, I mean, he did, but of old age, you know, okay. Um, not suicide by two to the back of the head. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we can't. I mean, we could do a whole show about, you know, all those like 200 mile per hour or 200 mile per gallon carburetor things and all those scams and rumors about that. But this guy, uh, no, no, a friend of a friend of mine who like knows a guy, his cousin's, uh, uh, best friend actually built one of those. Yeah. And they killed him. Yeah. One of those hydrogen uh, things or whatever, yeah, but yeah, um, uh, a million miles to a ga- to, to a gallon and, and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Zero point energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy, he his uh, steam powered Chevy, it was for um, emissions. So that this was like in the '60s when they were first proposing emissions regulations. And the good thing about a steam engine is you've got a burner and a boiler because you can burn it as lean or as rich as you want and get complete combustion in there. So you don't have like unburned hydrocarbons that make smog. You do, if you have it real hot, you can get like uh, nitrogen oxides. Yeah, you can get NOx. Um, yeah, but, I hate it. Uh, NOx. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's very clean burning. So that's why he was doing it. Uh, I mean, it did only get like 15 miles per gallon or something like that. Uh, Dude, and I you had wish to... things I owned got 15 miles. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are spoiled with your modern imports. Yeah. And he also had to fill it with like 300 gallons or 300 pounds of water, you know, and it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You'd have to fill it up with distilled water whenever you wanted to drive it. So it had some downsides, but for a while there, I was like, oh man, I could design a cool steam engine that would like use modern technology. And uh, I don't know if, if someone wants to pay me to do that, I, I still might, but that's all I've got. Um, do we want to wrap up Zach? It's, it's four o'clock here. Did you need to get going? Yeah, I think it's about that time for me. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and click stop recording unless someone else had something to say for this little segment. We I can... have something really important to say. Probably. You should stop recording and we'll see.